0: and it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 or via podcast, the archive of the show over at investinghope.com. Tune in uh, Apple iTunes uh, podcast, wherever podcasts are found. You can you can find this show and again, we are grateful for you listening. You know, I've actually uh, you know, every now and then I, I I have a question to myself, you know, is who is listening to this show? And I was in Florida this past week. Yeah, I got on an airplane, I traveled, uh, had to wear a mask. Other than that, it was pretty much, you know, normal training, normal travel. Um, but but while I was in Florida at a conference, uh, you know, probably six, 700 pregnancy center leaders across the country coming together to celebrate life and the work that we're doing in the pregnancy center to learn from each other and those type things. I was sitting in the lobby of the hotel and someone walked across the lobby and and said, hey, uh, I just wanted to let you know I enjoy listening uh, to your podcast every single week. Now, this person was not from the state of Tennessee, was from another part of the country, and said that she is listening, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that people are are tuning in, whether that be here in the state, here in Knoxville, across the state, uh, in Alabama, in, in Florida, wherever they may be. Uh, I'm grateful that people are listening, because we have... Uh, we have a lot to talk about, and, and the, the issue of life and abortion is certainly something that we need to focus on and, and talk about. I know at times I talk about other things as well, because there are other pressing things going on in this country and around the world that we need to discuss. And so today what I want to do is I'm actually going to start at a place that, that some would say, well, what does that have to do with life and abortion? But this has to do with something that it really has been in the works for generations. Uh, it's definitely been in the works since I was a child uh, And we're going to start with peace in the Middle East And that's even something that we used to say as a kid I remember back during the first Gulf War in the early 90s uh, As as children we would run around and say Peace in the Middle East, peace in the Middle East When are we going to have peace in the Middle East? And it appears as some agreements are occurring Where some peace is occurring with Israel and other nations uh in the Middle East. And so we're looking forward to that and I want to walk through some of what has happened in the last couple weeks. That but but really that is work that has been put in for many, many, many years. And so uh, excited about what's coming from that. We're gonna also look at some other things that, that are happening around the country with life and abortion and the work that's being done uh, through pregnancy centers. Again, I was in Florida at the CareNet conference just last week and, and just being able to be there. Uh, can can I be transparent for a second? Can can I be honest with you? You know, working in ministry is not easy, and, and I get it. You know, folks that are that don't work in ministry are going, yeah, well, well, come try to have my job. My job's not easy either. Yeah, I know. You know, look, there there's a lot of things that that we get we get burned out on. We we Uh, get tired of, of doing, we, you know, during this pandemic, I mean, I think everybody has kind of questioned everything and like what, what's next for me professionally? What's next for me, uh, spiritually? What's next for me in ministry? And so there are times because, especially with life and abortion, we feel like we're climbing uphill. We're fighting an uphill battle. There, There are certainly times like that. I think back to, Uh, I wasn't even on the planet in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was put into law. But I, I think about how long that's been and how much progress we've made, yet we still see close to a million abortions every single year. Think about that. That's a lot. That's a lot. And the destruction that we're seeing just across the globe in terms of a lot of things. And now even in the midst of a pandemic, we have the fires out west in California and Oregon. We we have uh looting and riot riots in, in different parts of the country. We have cities actually burning down. We have people that, that are uh that are getting COVID and dying. We have people that are on ventilators. We have people that are still in the midst of a pandemic getting cancer diagnosis. That are finding out they have heart disease. So a lot of things are occurring in the midst of all of this, and we are like 50 days away from a presidential election. I mean, if you wrote the script, if Hollywood wrote the script and they said, look, the year of the 2020 election, if they would have wrote this in 1990, you know, we used to think in the future and by 2020 we're going to have flying cars and all this nonsense. If they would have wrote a script in 1990 and said in 2020, You're going to have the presidential election. You're going to have people saying that it is the most important election of our lifetime. You're also going to have a pandemic where 200,000 people are going to die in the U.S. You're also going to have riots and looting. You're going to have people saying, talking about uh, racism. You're going to have people talking about closing up the church. You're going to have pastors uh, almost getting arrested and in some cases getting arrested because they're opening the doors of their building. You, you, if someone wrote that script, you'd be like, that's crazy. That would never happen. And that's what we have in 2020. And even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, when we find ourselves as Christians or, or non-Christians even saying, man, I, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. When is this year going to end? Even in the midst of some, what some would call the worst year ever. And people have said that. Even in the middle of that, we have seen babies saved inside of a pregnancy center. We have seen lives forever transformed because Jesus showed up radically in someone's life. We have seen people be baptized in 2020. We have seen, uh, people get married in 2020. So this is their anniversary year. We have seen babies be born in 2020. We have seen children saved. In what some would call the worst year ever. We have seen lives forever transformed. We have seen husbands and wives in nursing homes survive to fight another day. So I would just caution you as you are trying to chalk 2020 up as a complete loss. It's, it's not. It's not. Okay. There's still a lot of good going on. There, there's still We still serve a God that's in control, that's not surprised by any of this. And part of that is, and, and this has kind of been not discussed much, is peace in the Middle East. The UAE, the United uh, Arab Emirates and Israel deal, showed that the conventional wisdom was wrong. Perhaps the most impregnable piece of conventional wisdom over the last three and a half years was that there was no way that Jared Kushner, and for those of you not familiar with who that is, that is Donald Trump's son-in-law, married to Ivanka, could possibly move the ball on Middle East peace. Jared Kushner also, by the way, side note, is Jewish. Understandably enough, after all, Kushner already had a vast policy portfolio in the Trump White House and no prior diplomatic experience. The idea that he could succeed where people who had devoted their careers to working on this problem had failed seemed far-fetched at best. But here we are with Israel and the United Arab Emirates signing a historic normalization agreement at the White House. And then other countries are following suit. And that's a move that couldn't have been made without Saudi assent. All of that is what Joe Biden might call uh, not good. When the three leaders, President Trump, Prime Minister Netanyahu and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed, we considering their handiwork over the phone, according to a senior administration official. Uh, the crown prince said 2020 has been a really tough year. This has got to be the best news of 2020. And the president said, yeah. What do you think, B.B.? And B.B. Netanyahu said, are you kidding me? This is the best news in the last 20 years. And it all happened against an overwhelming tide of criticism. The senior administration official mar- marvels that Kushner stayed the course. Quote, when he was obviously hit like crazy in the media, all the experts said that he was wrong. Rex, Till- Rex Tillerson rode him like crazy. The way Kushner himself puts it is this. He said, the last three 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 and a half years, I think I've been the only optimistic person on the region. A top U.S. negotiator explains, quote, when you're working on something and someone tells you, There is no chance of success on this, but you've actually heard it from the mouth of the people who were in charge of making these decisions, that they're ready to do something. You think to yourself, well, one of us is crazy. I'm pretty sure it's not me, so I'm just going to keep going forward here. The story of the diplomatic breakthrough is at bottom, one of the, one of Trump Making bold moves in the region, which set the conditions for new thinking to work, even as elite opinion was starkly and, of course, unapologetically wrong every step of the way. Rather than ending any possibility of peace in the region, moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem forced a tight relationship of trust with Israel that made everything else possible. Now now listen to that again. We've had candidate after candidate after candidate say that they were going to move the embassy, yet they never did. President Trump came in, said that he was going to move the the embassy, and he did that. Now, the naysayer said that was going to create havoc in the region, but what it actually did was create so much trust with Israel that it made everything else possible. Rather than alienating our allies, pulling out of the Iran deal drew our allies in the region closer to us. Did you hear that? The Iran nuclear deal where we literally... Look, I'm not making this up. We literally sent pallets of cash to the Iranian government. Billions of dollars. No strings attached. And we made a deal with the devil, in in essence, in terms of Iran. When Trump came in and the administration pulled back on that deal, it actually strengthened the relationship with our allies in the region. Rather than causing a war, as even some of Trump's ideological allies feared, the killing of Soleim- Soleimani sent an unmistakable message of resolve. You know that was the uh, Soleimani was the uh, Iranian uh, terrorist official that was killed months ago. And 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 here's what the resolve. Here's what some folks said. Quote: I think that the the killing was a huge boon says the senior administration official, because it showed that the president was bold and serious. And I think that shifted the Middle East massively. Of course, all of this ran exactly counter to the previous administration's strategy in the region. As a State Department official puts it, quote, when we came into office, the U.S. and the prior administration had alienated our Gulf partners, Israel and the Palestinians, which is really hard to do. They had tried to accommodate Iran and to strengthen Iran as part of the larger gamble that it would moderate Iran. But the reality was the opposite. Uh, Trump's speech there in Riyadh uh, enunciated a change of approach. He said we were going we were going to counter Iran, we were going to stand with Israel, and we were we were going to stand with our partners. The official says after the speech, we were in some huge hotel lobby talking to a bunch of Arab foreign ministers that I knew, and they just said, "Oh, finally, somebody who gets the region." He recalls, and this official said. President Obama just kept looking at it through the wrong end of the telescope. Besides Jared Kushner, the core team working on the strategy included Kushner associate and special representative for international negotiations um, and and a lot of other folks as well. So th- I'm not going to continue to read that article, but the reason I wanted to point that out is there are times when when, uh, when decisions are made and it's easy for us, Regardless if it's a Republican president or a Democratic president, it's easy for us to sit back, scream, and say this will never work. But I'm impressed that even in the midst of all of that and all the noise and all the detractors, Jared Kushner and and the administration and and those that that were working on behalf of the administration said, Look, I, I get it. I get that you are saying that it's never worked. I get that you are saying that I have no experience. I get all of those things. But I've had conversations with Israel. I've had conversations with the UAE. I've had conversations with other places in the region, and every one of them say, we want to make a deal. We want something to happen. We can't continue living the way we've been living. And so what what happened was the administration said, all of y'all are saying you want to do something, then let's do something. Let's move the ball forward. And like Netanyahu said of Israel, this is the best news in the past 20 years. Probably even longer than that. So, so if we, if, if I may take that news and, and put it up against the pro-life movement where we're told, look, abortion is here to stay. You, you can't change it. It's the law of the land. We're told by even right to life lobbyists. This is a hard fight that that probably we can't even win if we pass this bill in the state of Tennessee or if we do this or if we do that. We're told that argument has never been made at the Supreme Court, so therefore it will never work. But we're going to need some folks that will simply look at those others and say, I know you say it's not going to work. I know you say that I may be crazy, but I long for the day that abortion would be ended. I long for the day that not only would it be unlawful, that it would be unthinkable. And so we're going to put in the effort. We're going to put in the time. We're going to put in the work. We're going to have the sleepless nights. We're going to have those conversations. We're going to sit down with policy officials. We're going to sit down with with activists. We're going to sit down with the people we need to sit down with. And in the middle of all that, we're still going to serve the men and women that come in our doors. And we're going to save babies. And we're going to love on our community. That is how we win this issue. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we continue the conversation today, look, the, the reason I wanted to start with peace in the Middle East is, first off, I think it, it deserves our time. Uh, we need to have that conversation. We need to celebrate that. And, and the reality is, last week, the President of the United States was nominated for two, two Nobel Peace Prizes. Two of them, from two different diplomats in the U.N., now, will he win one of those? Probably not. But, but there are people around the world that, that see this deal between Israel and other players in the region as a big, big, big deal. Like, like it's huge and it deserves time and it deserves focus. And so during a global pandemic, the fact that, that the administration and folks within the administration were able to keep their heads down and still work toward a deal is huge. Now, now what, what you have on cable news is you have cable news on both sides of the aisle, mostly on one side, and, and I don't have to get into that, screaming and yelling and, and not really talking about things that matter. And so now we have a, a ticker on, I was, I was at the hotel in Florida and I was flipping through and it got over on MSNBC and they have a ticker. How many people are dying of COVID? Now, now is that good for our society? Regardless of your thoughts on COVID, is that good for our society? Is that good for our psyche? Is that good for our mental health? No! No! I saw somebody posted the other day that that said, hey, is it, is it, are my child, is my child the only child dealing with, uh, So much anxiety before they go to school because of COVID that they're vomiting before they go to school every day. That's not good, folks. If we ran a ticker on MSNBC of how many people die of heart disease every year. Do you know that number? You probably don't. Why don't you know the number? Because it's not ticking across the screen every day on your cable news outlet. But last year, 2019, 684,000 people died of heart disease, heart-related deaths. One out of every four deaths in America, 2019, were heart-related. Now, if that was ticking across your screen every day, that might wake you up a little bit, right? might scare you. Might might put a little fear inside of you. But we don't walk around like that. And so all I'm saying is try your best in the middle of all of this to recognize that there are other things happening. That doesn't mean that COVID isn't real. It doesn't mean that that people aren't getting sick and dying. Of course they are. I'm not denying that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cautious. Of course we should. I'm just saying that in the middle of this, we also have peace that's happening in the Middle East that is huge. I mean, life-altering, life-changing for the people that live there. Big, big deal, and, and that's why I wanted to start with that. I now want to go to a topic. Look, we it's election year, so between now and November, you're going to hear me talk quite a bit about uh, the politics that are going on in our country, and, and if you don't like that, I, I apologize, but we're in election year, presidential election year. I'm not going to sit here and say it's the most important election of, of our lifetime, uh, and and just be, mainly because I don't like the phrase, I've been told that my whole life. Really, I have. I mean, uh, you know, early on uh, in the early '90s, uh, George H. Uh, most important election of our lifetime when Bill Clinton won. Most important election of our lifetime. I mean, when George W. won. Most important election of our lifetime. When Obama won. Most important election of our lifetime. Last four, you know, last four years ago, Trump. And Hillary, most important election of our lifetime. All of those things, uh, that's what we've been told. And so now in 2020, they're saying it's the most important election of our lifetime. But what I will say this, that, that a lot of folks are trying to say that Joe Biden, uh, has spent much of his career and his life being somewhat pro life. Now, now I would say, uh, being somewhat pro life means you're not pro life at all, but, but that's a story for another day. Uh, has Joe Biden been one of the rational folks, at the very least, over the years, over his forty-seven year career, when it came comes to abortion? Uh, he has said that he's personally pro-life, but doesn't believe a policy should should dictate what happens uh, with someone's body. Now, that's a uh, a crazy description of where he stands, uh, but but okay, let's run with that. He has voted for restrictions on abortion. He has voted in favor of the Hyde Amendment that would prevent uh, government funding to go to abortion. So he has done those things. But, and this is a big but, over the last year and a half, two years, that Joe Biden no longer exists. It didn't exist on the debate stage. It didn't exist. It doesn't exist in his ads. It doesn't exist on his platform. It doesn't exist on the Democratic Party platform. And it certainly doesn't exist when he picks Kamala Harris, one of the most pro-abortion, uh, Senators in the country So forgive me If I'm unwilling to see him As a moderate candidate Because he picked one of the most progressive candidates To run with him You remember the 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 Hidden videos that came out years ago David DeLayden Where he went inside Planned Parenthood And other abortion clinics And they were harvesting baby parts We have it on camera They were harvesting baby parts and selling those To make profit and he was, uh, a suit was filed, and and they went after him really hard. Well, guess who oversaw all of that? Kamala Harris did. Senator Harris did, because she was the Attorney General of California. That's important. Look, they're not moderate when it comes to abortion, and there's an article over at LifeSite News that, that talks about this. So in Las Vegas, President Donald Trump took forceful aim at His opponent, Joe Biden's position on abortion over the weekend, accusing the former vice president of supporting, quote, baby execution. The president was speaking at a Latinas for Trump roundtable in Nevada. The Independent reported, during which he declared that Biden supporters, quote, after term abortion, which is basically baby execution. The Independent claims Trump's characterization was incorrect because Biden's voting record has been historically conservative with regard to abortion. See, that's what they're going to do they're going to look back and say but historically historically he's been in favor of some restrictions on abortion but but hear me when i say this you're even going to have uh democratic advocates dnc talking heads claiming that the the presidential candidate is moderate when it comes to abortion but none nothing in their platform says that they don't even let pro life democrats come and speak at their convention they they say the tent is not big enough For you, you have Cuomo in New York saying, we don't want pro-lifers living in this state. You see, that's the mindset. So so saying that he has been moderate in the past matters none today in 2020. Because who are we voting for today in 2020? We're voting for Joe Biden of 2020. Who's running with Senator Harris. Same thing with Trump. Who are you voting for today? Are you voting for the, the Trump of 2000? Are you voting for the Trump of 2016 or are you voting for the Trump of 2020? You're voting for the Trump of 2020. That's the reality of elections. In fact, while Biden was more moderate years ago, he is currently running as an abortion absolutist with a plan to enshrine virtually unlimited abortion into federal law at taxpayer expense. Last year, he abandoned the loss, uh, the last, uh, uh of his former moderation by disavowing the Hyde Amendment. You see, I, I said earlier that he used to be for the Hyde Amendment. Now he's against the Hyde Amendment, which bars direct federal funding for most abortions. Further, Biden has not dissented from his party's opposition to the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. All this act would do is if a baby survives an abortion, that baby is afforded all the rights of any other human on the in our country. And And Joe Biden can't even come out in favor of that. So don't tell me he's moderate when it comes to abortion. Further, uh, see, by contrast, Trump has worked to oppose federal funding of abortion and the abortion industry, including restoring and expanding the Mexico City policy, which we've talked about here before, which bars foreign aid to abortion, disqualifying organizations involved in abortion from family planning funds, and endorsing legislation to fully defund Planned Parenthood. So, so when people say, well, Joe Biden is moderate when it comes to abortion, Listen to me. I live and breathe this stuff. The man is not moderate on abortion, period. Full stop. He's not. And his presidency, his administration, if he were to win, would be the opposite of moderate on abortion. It would be one of the most pro-abortion administrations this country has ever seen. We'll be back. Hey, everybody. Gather around. I'm here to give you anything you like. You want free college, energy, mortgages, <laughs> whatever you like. You have come Tim to Lockers, the right place. He, uh, why? You know it's you amazing why. what comedy can do. You can say the hard things out loud. And all you got to do is make a funny song with it and people laugh and yuck it up and it and he just nails it. It's just like Babylon B. If you read their their satire, uh, sometimes they've even started posting on on Facebook. Babylon B will post things like not Babylon B. This is a real headline from a news source that you're going to think is fake, but it's actually happening in our country. And so, uh, man, we're living in some interesting times for sure. So the reason I wanted to spend the last segment on Biden is because you're going to have people tout his 47 years in Washington, his 47-year political career. Okay, And you're going to hear things like, well, With four more years of the current administration, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna hear things like, well, if, if I get into office, we're gonna see an end to systematic racism. If I get into office, we're gonna see an end to climate change. If I get into office, uh, California and Oregon not gonna be burning. And then he'll call, you know, the president a climate denier. He even called him, uh, most recently a climate arsonist, which I thought was interesting. Uh, an interesting take. But here's the reality. That, that's what politicians say. Even though he's had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. If, if you'll remember, he's, he's been senator for a long time. And then he was vice president for eight years. Why didn't we end those things then? Anybody going to ask him that? So so why didn't we get rid of the burning in climate change the eight years he was vice president? Why didn't we end systematic racism the eight years he was vice president? I mean, if you remember correctly, we had riots and looting and protests and marches and police brutality and all of these things occurring while he was vice president. But when it comes to abortion and life, I think it's important because what what they're saying is, oh, he's moderate. But when you look at the platform, there's nothing moderate when it comes to abortion on that platform. There's nothing moderate in his language. There's nothing moderate in the people that he has picked to run with them and those that he will appoint if he were to win. He has said on day one, he's going to open up the Mexico City policy. He's going to take it away. He's going to actually fund abortion, not just here in the country, but around the globe. So don't tell me he's moderate when it comes to life and abortion. It's just as simple as that. You vote how you see fit. Vote for who you want to vote for, but don't... Lie to yourself or lie to me by saying this man is moderate on abortion. I, I, it, it's just not true. Period. If it were true, you would see him sitting down with pro-life Democrats. And there's millions of them. But they can't get a word in on anything. They don't have a say on anything. But who does have a say? Pro-abortion opponents like Senator Harris, pro-abortion opponents like Elizabeth Warren, pro-abortion opponents like uh, AOC, pro-abortion opponents like Senator Bernie Sanders. You see, so so don't tell me that he's moderate because he's not. And this is where my frustration comes with some trying to virtue signal. Last week, I heard a, a great speech from someone that said, you don't have to virtue signal if you're living a life Of virtue. You don't have to virtue signal if you're living a life of virtue. Think about that. You see, what the last four years have done is it's really shown us, it's given us a window into what some of these folks think when it comes to ideology, when it comes to policy. It's one thing to be never Trump. That's that's one thing. It's one thing to be never Trump to the point that you will vote for for someone that has policies completely in opposition of yours. You see, I don't believe it's a binary election. I don't believe it's just between one candidate and this candidate or two candidates. I believe you have the right to do what you want to with that vote. What I don't understand is taking that vote and voting for someone who is in direct opposition of everything you claim to stand for and your ideology. I understand taking the vote and saying, I'm not going to vote for this person, even though we agree on a lot of policies, I have some issues with X, Y, and Z. And so I'm either going to write a candidate in, I'm not going to vote, I'm going to kind of do a protest no vote, or I'm going to vote for a third party candidate that lines up with me on most things. But what I don't understand is saying I'm not gonna vote for this particular candidate even though we agree on a lot of policies because of X, Y, and Z. But what I will do is then go throw my vote behind someone that disagrees with me on everything. And that's what we see with Governor Kasich. Governor John Kasich, if you remember, he ran for president back in, uh, 2016. He stayed in the primary way too long, if you want to get into the nuts and bolts and all the weeds of elections. Ted Cruz probably would have had a chance to beat President Trump uh, had it not been for John Kasich. But John Kasich refused to pull his name out and refused to step away, and so they had to split delegates. So Kasich and Cruz were splitting delegates, and then the other folks were voting for Trump, and Trump ultimately won. So some could even argue that John Kasich actually gave us President Trump, but I digress. So here's an article... Discussing John, John Kasich, former Governor John Kasich of Ohio, a self-proclaimed pro-life Republican who recently endorsed pro-abortion Joe Biden for president, said that issues like Biden's rigorous support for abortion are, quote, dwarfed by Biden's alleged ability to pull us together. Now, now, look, I get it. I'm a one issue voter. The abortion issue is the issue that's going to get me up and gonna take me to the polls. It just is. I'm also a political nut. And so I'm gonna read about all this stuff. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my own digging, do my own research, know where people stand on the issues. I'm gonna vote. I'm an educated voter. If, if a pollster calls me and they say, hey, yes or no, and then they ask me a question, do I give them yes or no? No. I, I walk them through my process of thinking. Polsters probably hate talking to me because I ask them questions. Why why do you phrase it that way? Why wouldn't you phrase it this way if you were wanting an honest answer? Those are the things that I do to pollsters. So I get it. I'm in the minority probably in terms of my research and, and all the effort that I put into voting. But here's one thing that I do know. I will not vote for anyone that stands in favor of abortion, Period. That doesn't mean that I'm always going to vote for the, the guy with an R beside his name or the girl with an R beside his name. But what it does mean is I will never vote for anyone that stands in favor of abortion, period. Period. That ends it for me. That's going to be the first policy I ask you about. And I've met. I've met with governor, uh, governor candidates. And the first question I ask them, where do you stand on abortion? What, what are your thoughts on adoption? Those are the first questions I ask. I'll get to the tax structure. I'll get to your leanings when it comes to marriage. I'll get to your leanings on other things. But first and foremost, I want to know where do you stand on life and abortion? And so for John Kasich to say that, that Joe Biden being pro abortion, uh, his support for, for abortion or is dwarfed by Biden's alleged ability to pull us together is nonsense. It's virtue signaling. During an interview with The View last Friday, co-host Megan McCain, daughter of the late Senator John McCain, asked about Biden's position on abortion, which arguably has been radicalized even further by his choice uh, of Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. Megan McCain said this, you're pro-life. I know that, and you were pro-life when you were in politics, as I am. Let's see, It it is a big, big part of who I am and my platform, and I don't think taxpayers should be... Funding abortions for women who are pregnant as I am right now. That's what Meghan McCain said. So how would you push back against a voter like me who's concerned about the things like this in a possible Biden-Harris administration? Kasich did not directly answer the question. Simply commenting, quote, I agree with your position on the life issue, Megan, But look, first of all, I disagree with Joe Biden in a number of areas. Instead of mentioning the killing of unborn child inside the mother's womb, Kasich gave capital gains taxes as an example of disagreements between him and Biden. He said, but the issues here are dwarfed, in my opinion, by the fact that he's a person that can pull us together, he explained. Do I think that if he wins, that all of a sudden all these things are going to happen that, that are negative? No, I don't believe that at all, he said, because that's not his character. That's not who he is. And as you know, your father and Joe were great friends. Why? Not because they agreed on everything, but they could find common ground. So do I think we're going to end up in some cataclysmic place if he wins? I don't, but I do believe four more years of the division is wrecking the very soul of our country. And we continue down this path. I don't know how we come back. Kasich then went on to talk about the importance of prayer. Look, the, the, the reality is the division, acting as if the division is happening only one side is is nonsense. And is and is being willfully ignorant and blind to what's happening in our society. It just is. It just is. We've gotten away from true political debate. We've gotten away from being able to have logical conversations with each other about things we disagree with. So I can appreciate the fact that Kasich says... He and Joe Biden have a relationship. And I can appreciate the fact that Kasich says, I know Joe Biden is a person. And I can appreciate the fact that he says that that he believes Joe Biden will bring us together. I can appreciate that fact. But my question to John Kasich, my question to Joe Biden, my question to anyone that that wants to hear is, why hasn't he done that in the last 47 years? Why hasn't he done that in eight years while he was in the White House with, with President Obama? No one has a good answer for that. You see, we're living at a time now where, where when you ask somebody, why are you voting for someone, many folks will answer because the other person is terrible. Look, that's not a winning narrative. It's just not. We need more than that. Tell me why you're voting for someone, not why you're voting against another candidate. And the reality is Kasich doesn't like the president, period. He doesn't like him as a person. He doesn't want to recognize anything that he's done policy-wise. That's just a fact. That's not me making things up. That's just a fact. And so he's wanting to vote for Joe Biden because he's his friend. And I can appreciate that. I would want my friends to vote for me too. But here's the thing. If my friend was fully in support of abortion on demand for any reason at any time during an entire pregnancy, as much as I'm their friend, they will never receive a vote from me. There's no, there's not enough virtue signaling that you can do to defend that vote. That's my opinion. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we as we finish up today, look, these are important topics. Okay, we started the show off with peace in the Middle East because uh, I've I've been on this planet since 1984 in my entire life we've had some kind of conflict with the Middle East. My entire life, we've been trying to seek peace in the Middle East. And because of where we are currently in our political climate, we can't recognize the fact that, that two big, big, big agreements occurred this past week between Israel and other areas in the region. We should, all of us, Republican, Democrat, and everything in between, should be coming together and saying, well done. Well done. And applauding that. But we can't even bring ourselves to applaud things that are good. You know, last week we, we saw the 19 year anniversary of 9-11. 19 years. Now I want you to think back to that time. Even in my small town in middle Tennessee, where, where no one in my town would have given two thoughts to New Yorkers. We probably thought New Yorkers were aggressive, loud. Maybe if we get on a subway, somebody's going to rob us. They think we're ignorant and hillbillies because we live in the middle of nowhere, what they would say, on a bunch of land. We have cows and horses. But when those towers came down, we all became New Yorkers. Why do you think Rudy Giuliani was called America's mayor? Because we all rallied behind them. People from all over the country got to New York to, to sift through the rubble. That's what we did. Donald Trump, even as a citizen of New York City, paid with his own money for people to go and sift through the rubble, looking for survivors and then, and then looking for bodies. And then you think about September 12th, 2001. And we were coming together. Even in my small town, churches opened up their doors to have prayer services. So that we there in Cornersville, Tennessee, in Lewisburg, Tennessee, Marshall County, Tennessee, praying for people we never met in New York City. We remember the images of the towers coming down. We remember the images of the fallen man. People jumping to their death as they think through, do I want to burn alive or do I just want to jump out of this window? And we came together. We rallied behind the president. We rallied together as Americans. And folks, if something like that were to happen today or tomorrow, would we rally? Would churches come together and pray? I mean, some churches aren't even allowed to open right now. Would we come together as one or would we say this is your fault? See what kind of climate you've created. I'm afraid that's where we are right now, regardless of what happens. We have people on one side saying it's the other side's fault and the same thing happening uh, in both directions. Everybody's just pointing fingers at everybody. So is it up to the president to unite the country? No, no, it's not. But it is up to us, as citizens of our communities, to love our neighbors, to bring about unity. To have rational, logical conversations with folks. To not harbor up anger and bitterness in our heart. I posted this yesterday, but but those that, that harbor up anger and bitterness in their heart and hate... When we do that, we're acting as if we, when we drink the poison, we think the other person is still going to die. But the reality is we're poisoning ourselves. You're poisoning your vessel when you harbor anger, hate, and bitterness in your heart. So what's your motivation today? So do I want you to be engaged and go vote? And and, and do I want you to vote, quote, the right way? Yeah, I do. But I also want you to love your neighbor. I also want you to stand up for injustices in our society. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be able to go to church and worship. I want you to be able to do those things. And so even though we get engaged and involved and we go vote and we do all of the the things that we've been called to do. Our hope is not in the Oval Office. Our hope is not in a capital D or a capital R. It's not. Our hope is not in the Supreme Court. It's not. And so trust that. Trust in the God that that oversees everything, that's very much involved in everything, and pray that he would bring us through this, and I know he will. We'll talk to you next week.